This is the first Sunday in Lent. Notice we say in Lent, not of Lent. And that's because the Sundays in Lent don't count as part of Lent. So that means that if since Ash Wednesday you have undertaken some hair-raising austerity, you can uh, not observe it on Sunday. So uh, that's why we say in Lent. In a little while, I'm going to say some things about hair-raising austerities, uh, what I said on Ash Wednesday, which might uh, be helpful to all of us. But since Ash Wednesday, there are three predicates to this season that have begun, three things that every year uh, become the focus of um, the Lenten readings and uh, the Lenten preaching and how we understand this season generally. They are repentance, reconciliation, and godly motives. Uh, the season of Lent is a season that went through a process of development, and so, the, so Lent as a six-week season uh, is something that probably was finally firmed up everywhere by about <clears throat> the, four, the beginning of the fourth century, uh, the beginning of the 300s and the liturgies and all of the ways in which we observe Lent in the West uh, come from that period. We also have a diary from a, a, a woman pilgrim. Maybe she was the member of a religious community. She was from Gaul, and her name was Egeria, or Etheria, depending on wh who, what you read. She kept a diary, and she made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and she wrote down in her diary which she saw go on there during Holy Week, which was the first phase of the whole season of Lent. And she describes what they did there. And what is in the Book of Common Prayer under proper seasons or proper seasons for special days or whatever it's called in the prayer book, uh, a lot of that's from Nigeria and what her accounts were uh, in terms of how the church celebrated the liturgy in this solemn and holy time. The emphasis in the season of Lent originally was on baptism. And those who were being prepared for baptism, uh, Lent was the period where there was the intensive final preparation uh, to be ready now for baptism on Easter, the great vigil of Easter. And so that was its focus, baptism, regeneration, renewal, being grafted onto the body of Christ. The preparatory seasons that began to develop also were tinctured with some understanding of the need to express in the world some species of charity and compassion. We come now to Constantine in the early 4th century, who declares Christianity the legal religion of the Roman Empire. And so a lot of people got baptized real fast. And we began to see now a shift in focus in the season of Lent to not just baptism and its preparation or a reflection by those baptized on the promises they made and how they are being God's people in the world, but it became a season of reflection uh, on our past sinfulness. Part of this may have to do 
with the fact that um, the great Bible translator Jerome, St. Jerome, when he translated the, the Bible into Latin, the Vulgate Bible, still the official Bible of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, in the passages in the Gospels where Jesus or John the Baptist is calling people to repent, in the Greek text it says metanoiete, to turn around, to look at your life in a different way. So Jerome translated it as penitentium agite, to do penance. So if you read the book, it would say, well, this is the season where that's what our focus is going to be on uh, our past sinfulness and getting right with God, going to confession, engaging in hair-raising austerities, uh, uh, self-denial, all of those things. They all have their place, by the way. I'm not uh, criticizing this, but there needs to be some rebalancing. And in the last 40 years, in the liturgical renewal in the Western churches, that has been maybe not accomplished in the hearts of all faithful people, but it has been certainly something that is uh, an emphasis we wish to focus on for this season. The importance of understanding changing the direction you look for happiness, but also understanding that you have a template that is uh, available to you, uh, which is the baptismal liturgy, and it tells you what somebody who has been baptized should do. How then must we live? And to read through that and understand that that might be the starting point of self-examination and repentance. So repentance is at the center of uh, our self-understanding during this season. And the second piece, of course, is reconciliation. On page 855 of the Book of Common Prayer in the Catechism, the question is asked, what is the mission of the church? And the answer is, the mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and one another in Christ. You know, a lot of people get that mixed up. They think, well, the mission of the church is the end of Matthew's gospel. Go therefore into the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and know that I am with you always, even unto the end of the ages. Well, it's not either or, but the ministry of reconciliation is something that all Christian people are called to. The restoration of unity. The only way you and I can appropriate that great and powerful truth are through the commonplace activities of our own lives. And so we need to understand some ways in which we can be reconcilers to those closest to us, reconcilers in the workplace, and to labor with groups who are interested in bringing that species of reconciliation to the wider society. We are to be people of peace. And we're called to do that, and in the season of Lent, it's a time when we reflect on it in perhaps a deeper and more intense level than at other times. How do I become an instrument of God's reconciling power and love? The word for salvation in the Greek text and in the Hebrew text, both those words, to save, 
means also to heal. And so when you and I become reconcilers in the world, we are instruments of God's saving power at work. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said that Jesus has no other hands but your hands, no other heart but your heart, no other mind but your mind, no other legs but your legs. So you and I are called to be the instruments of the reconciling power of God. And finally, in the course of this, as we begin to think and reflect about our lives, it is important to see whether or not we're allowing too much of our lives to be governed by corrupt motives and not godly motives. And you know, corrupt motives can often appear to be guileless. And it's important to say, you know, this is the time when I'm going to think about this. The biblical witness on Ash Wednesday talked about bringing into greater proximity the letter and the spirit. That that's an important thing to be able to do. To seek uh, godly motives in all that we do. You know, not just self-interested motives, as necessary and important as they are. More on that in a minute. In the gospel for today, <clears throat> Jesus uh, is baptized by John. This is the most spare account in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of his baptism and his going into the desert for 40 days. Gee, does it ring any bells that here Lent is 40 days long and Jesus went into the desert for 40 days? There must be some symbolism in this, right? <laughs> In the ancient Near East, going into the desert was to go into the place of purification. It was to go into the place where you wrestle with the devil. I think sometimes that may mean to go into a place where you're wrestling with your own thoughts and your own personal demons. And coming out to see now... How have I been given some tools that will assist me in the process of managing them? You know why we have these seasons come up year after year? is because this isn't a once and for all thing. Jesus wasn't just tempted and put it all behind him. He resisted all those temptations. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. But that did not occur to him just once, nor does it occur to us just once. And so the processes of dealing with our own personal temptations, with our own personal demons, with our own struggles, will come up over and over again. And the accumulated learning that we achieve through that, if we are conscious at all, is the wisdom that we now have for ourselves, for our own internal, emotional, spiritual, and mental states, and what we can commend to other people without prejudice in terms of how they might be assisted in that in their own struggle so in terms of being tempted uh, maybe we should see that this is the starting point for how we understand it father thomas keating says that jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the same things that each one of us are tempted by all the time and that's what he calls the irrational programs for happiness that center around three energy centers, security and survival, 
affection and esteem, and power and control. And you and I throughout our lives have got to find the ways and the means to get a hold of those things in a way that becomes life-giving. We can't get rid of them. We have to have them if we're human. You need to be concerned about your security and your survival. You need to be, uh, receive affection and esteem from others. I had somebody say to me many years ago, you know, the world revolves around strokes. So it may be important to think about the importance of affection and esteem. And finally, power and control. You need to have the power you need in order to allow your life to seek its level. And you need to understand what it is that you uh, need to let go of and what you need not to let go of. And trying to figure that out requires a continuous process of learning about how to handle those things. Those three areas are just the most important thing. And Jesus was uh, handling that in the desert. In the book that I, we're going to read for Lent, some of you may have started to read it, uh, there's some mention in there about uh, hair-raising austerities or whether or not they're a good thing to do and how do we understand self-denial and discipline in the season of Lent. And in Jane Shaw's book, Practical Christianity, in the introduction, she has a number of quotations from a famous writer on the spiritual life in England, a woman named Evelyn Underhill, who um, for a while she sort of fell out of favor. She was sort of viewed as, uh, you know, the Agatha Christie of the spiritual life, I think. But she's written a number of very important books. Uh, and also, there are a lot of her collected letters around. And in her collected letters, she wrote one to a friend about Lent and about what to do. As to your Lent, no physical hardships beyond what normal life provides, but take each of these as serenely and gratefully as you can, and make of them your humble offerings to God. Don't reduce sleep. Don't get up in the cold. Practice more diligently the art of turning to God with some glance or phrase of love or trust at all spare moments of the day. You know, in the classical spiritual life, that's called habitual recollection. Learning how to do that throughout the day. Be specially kind and patient with those who irritate you. Instead of wasting energy and being disgusted with yourself, with your, uh, accept your own failures and just say to God, well, in spite of all I may say or fancy, this is what I am really like, so please help my weakness. This is not self-disgust. It is the real and fruitful humility. Now, on giving up things, the fancy term for that is mortification. By preference, the, mortif the mortification of the tongue. Careful guard on all amusing criticism of others 
on all complaints, however casual or trivial, deliberately refraining sometimes, not always, from saying the entertaining thing. This does not mean you are to be dull or correct, but to ration this side of your life. I doubt whether things like sitting in the least comfortable chair, etc., affect you enough to be worth bothering about. But I am sure custody of the tongue on the lines suggested could give you quite a bit of trouble and be a salutary bit of discipline, a sort of verbal hair shirt. The important thing is doing something beyond what perhaps you normally do. So it's pretty good advice. If you read some of Evelyn Underhill's stuff, it's very, it's very, very good. She wrote a book called Practical Mysticism, which is, which is quite good. So as we continue in the season of Lent, uh, give thanks for the opportunity to serve God through reconnecting to the baptismal promises. Uh, give thanks to God for the opportunity to uh, remind yourself that the examined life, is unexamined life, is not a life worth living, and that it is important for us to do this uh, from time to time, and maybe certain times of the year with a special intensity. Give thanks for the opportunity to be an instrument of God's reconciling power in the world in big and small ways. Remember, the thing we've learned through the processes over time in the history of Christianity is that for some reason God needs you and me to accomplish his purposes in the cosmos. We count and we are unconditionally loved, accepted and forgiven by God and that is always the default position. So if we go through some arduous self-examination and repentance, remember God's steadfast love is always there for you. Amen.